All right, so Romans chapter 3, we're going to go pick up in verse 19 and go through the end of the chapter. Mark last week did verses 1 through 18. And I'll start out by, by reading that section, starting in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness, righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. <clears throat> All right, so first I'm going to start by looking, looking back a little bit here um, and Back to, I'm thinking I'm going to back up kind of to verse 9 through 18, just a real brief statement that in a sense here you get that, that Paul is kind of like charging humanity with being under sin. Um, and if you almost picture it as like a trial type thing, you know, and he's trying to prove it, um, that Paul's using, using the Bible, you know, as it, in verse 10, as it is written, he's using like the scripture as his witness and is prosecuting uh, all people. And so with that in mind, I'm just going to read right through that to lead into verse 19. So starting in verse 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So there he is. He, he gives this as, as his testimony, you know, using, using the scriptures. Um, and you get to 19 and 20, and this is like, he states what the verdict of this, of this little trial that, that he's doing, this charge that he's, he's put out there. You know, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And so, you know, he states off in, in 19 that, you know, this trial is determined by the law. Um, and this makes sense, you know, any real, any trial you have to determine what the law is. And here we have God's law. Um, and hold on, I want to check that cross-reference to see what I was thinking as I wrote it. 
Yeah, so, so here we are at this trial, and, and this idea here that if you've broken the law, you're guilty. Um, and James 2.10 you know, says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for, for all of it. Um, and I think that this is an important point that a lot of, I mean, I think Christians, most Christians get it. A lot of non-Christians don't get it. You get this whole, you know, I'm a good person type of thing. I can work my way there. Um, I, you know, my good outweighs my bad. And that completely falls apart under this, um, under this prosecution and under when you think about God holding people accountable. Because even as it said in James uh, chapter 2 there, you know, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. You know, and this is like saying, if, say if like when you were younger, you, you murdered somebody. But since then, you've been a great person. You know, it's been 20 years since you've murdered anybody. And when the when the judge, when something happens, you know, you get called forward by the judge for this, and you know, you're on trial for this murder that you did commit. And your defense is, it's been 20 years since I've murdered anybody, and I've been a good person since then. You're going to go to jail. <laughs> like, that just, that's not, that doesn't hold any water with, yes, you committed this sin, you have broken the law. Um, and that's the same thing here, and that's why, logically speaking, this argument that my good outweighs my bad makes no sense at all. So then we continue here. Um, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So then the question is, who is under the law? And I think chapter 2 kind of answered this a bit. Uh, and he, it's kind of evident in the scriptures here. The law is not limited to the Jews. Yes, the Jews received the law, um, but Romans chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it's talking about the Gentiles, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Let's see, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So this is saying that, you know, the Gentiles are a law unto themselves, in in their hearts and their consciences, they have have laws. And and I think he mentions even... Even if it's just these laws that they don't they don't have a written law and it's just these laws they still can't keep them. And so you have this idea that yes, it's not the Jew the Jews receive the law, um, but every single one of us is under the law. Moreover, this is God's world, um, so the standard is God, is God's law. It's just like saying, you know, we're in the United States. I'm sure there are so many laws that I don't know. If I break a law here but I had no idea that I did it, that doesn't excuse me. It's the same thing even, even with God's law. Um, and we see this similar idea, just wanted to hit Leviticus. You don't have to turn there. It's a short reference. Seventeen, or no, first five, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. 17 through 19. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. And I think that's actually a really important thing to note, is just that 
you know, your intentions, whether or not you sin, you know, don't really affect how guilty you are. Same thing with, like I said, with being in the United States. You break the law, even if you didn't know you broke the law, you still broke the law. And so we get this idea of when he's saying, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's everybody. We're all under the law in some way. Everyone except, of course, I want to hit Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. All those that believe in Jesus have been justified. And in this trial here that we're kind of setting up, we stand accused, we stand convicted, and we stand punished already. Having the penalty paid for all of our sins by Jesus Christ leaves us no longer under the law, but under the grace that was given to us. You know, us who are very undeserving of this grace, that Jesus Christ uh, paid the penalty already. Anyway, back to, back to verse 19. So that every mouth may be stopped. So, again, picturing the trial thing. So after, after Paul gives this prosecution and, and tra- uses the scriptures to charge us, and the law bears its testimony, you know, it's time for the defense to stand up. And the defense doesn't even stand up. There is no defense. Um, the prosecution against us is so complete and accurate and damning that there's not even, like, no one can give an excuse. No one can even open their mouth to say, but, you know, I, there's just nothing. You know, we, we have all sinned. And we have all broken the law. And the whole world will be held accountable to God. Um, and I think this is an important thought for us to keep in, the, in our minds, that everybody will be held accountable. Um, just to think about you know, our friends and our family um, and people that aren't saved, to, to know that like, they are going to be held accountable and to, to try to reach them with the gospel um, and you know, to tell them that the only way to not be damned is through Jesus Christ. Um, and I think it's also good for us to remember that all of our sins are also held accountable, um, that, that Christ has, has paid the price for them, but that with each sin that we commit, like that's, it, took a, it took a payment. You know, it's not like it's just free. Um, and it's free for us, but with each sin, you know, that's another lash on our Savior's back. You know, that's, that's a nail getting pounded through his hand. Uh, and so to know that each sin is costly. I mean, it, each sin we do ought to cost us our life. Um, and just remembering that, that there's, there's an accountability for each sin, that we're under the, under the grace of Christ, but realizing how expensive each sin was to him. So verse 20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And this gets right into the, you know, no human being will be justified by works. Um, and I think this is a really good, uh, good verse here to have, have in, your, in your back pocket, in your mind, as a definitive verse, so that anybody who ever claims that you know, they can make it to heaven through good works, um, by obeying the law, by being a good person, by never doing anything bad, you know, this is a good spot to just be like, 
That's not true. That's heretical. That does not, it's not biblical. That's not how one is saved. And you read this passage, you know, if they're like, oh, well, where does it say that? Or even, even just for your own, you know, assurance of that knowledge. Right here, you know, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Let's see. And know that anybody who claims otherwise, you know, that, that they can not sin or they can do enough good works, um, does not know the scriptures and and that they are they don't understand God's holiness they don't understand their man's depravity and that that person will be held accountable and then the end of that verse uh, through the law or since through the law comes knowledge of sin and just this idea here that like you know we would never know how crooked a line is without a straight line. And so in this analogy, it's like the law is a straight line. And when you look at how we behave, you're like, oh, wow, like that is not the same. You know, if you're just looking at your own line, you're like, yeah, I think if I, you know, twist my head a little and wave it back and forth as I go up that part, it looks pretty straight. It's straighter than that other line, right? Um, but no, <laughs> the law is the straight line. You put it right next to your line. You're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's not good. Um, oh, another, this is a good analogy. Um, that the law is also, it's like a thermometer. It shows us that we are sick. Yet, in itself, it contains nothing to remedy a fever. You know, like swallowing a thermometer isn't going to make you better. Let's see. And then, it, so that leads right into verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So this is just saying that God has shown another way apart from the law. And this is another important verse to, to really uh, point out, is that it's not in conjunction with the law. It's not to supplement the law. And this is, this is where Catholics, uh, most of them, go astray in their doctrine, is that, yes, they believe in faith and Christ saves them, but then, you know, with that comes works. And this is saying, no, it's not... It's a, that they're two separate things. It's God's salvation is apart from the law. We are not under the law. Let's see. And then on to the second half. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. And this is like, if you read the Old Testament with an eye towards Jesus Christ, I mean, you're going to just see it again and again and again. He just keeps coming up. Um, and you'll just like, thinking of the road to Emmaus where he opens the scriptures and explains how they were all about him the whole time and the 300 some prophecies he fulfilled and then all the pictures of Jesus you think about you know the the ark saving Noah you think about you know Isaac taking the wood up and about to be sacrificed and then the ram in the thicket you think about the Passover you think about Jonah being swallowed by the whale for three days um, you can go on and on and on and you just knowing the New Testament in Christ, you just see how the entire law and prophets were written to point to him. So, verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And so right here, just saying basically that the, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is through faith in Jesus Christ. That all who put their, their faith and belief in Christ will be considered righteous as Christ put our sins on himself and washes us clean with his blood. And then 
the no distinction. Um, I think it's it's very similar to what Mark talked about last week in uh, up in verse nine, that you know for when you're looking at the law, there's no distinction between you know Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free, uh, that we are all under sin, every single one of us. Um, we are, none of us are able to save ourselves, and that the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus. There's no distinction for anybody on any of those things. That's, uh, that's, you, that's not something that anybody argues about that's, that's, a, that's a Christian, a true Christian. Um, then on to verse 23, famous verse, you probably already know it, it's worth knowing. But for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, got a few verses here about sin. I hit First John. Three four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So basically the idea of, of sin being, in a, in a very big sense, the, the rebellion of, of the creature's will against the creator, against the will of God. So just this, you know, God brings his, his law and his will and sin being lawlessness of just rejecting that and rebelling. And then I want to hit James... I can find, what book is James after? What was that? No, what book is James after? Okay, that's what I thought. I must have skipped the two pages. Um, James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this is saying too, it's not just it's not just a, um, doing, the, uh, doing something wrong. It's also knowing the right thing to do and not doing it is also sin. And then I want to go back to Romans chapter 14. Verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you get this, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you're not doing something in faith, even if it's something that's not in itself bad, you know, with this talking, uh, with here they were talking about, uh, you know, not causing others to stumble, and, and I think this is on, the, on eating things that are unclean, that, you know, that God said, you know, it's not necessarily bad, but if you don't do it from faith, it is bad. It's sin. So it's kind of where, where your faith is at with it. And then one back to First John 5.17. All wrongdoing is sin. Or wait, is that the right one? Yeah, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Yeah, so just this, that all wrongdoing, all unrighteousness is sin. And then 
I won't turn there, but Proverbs 24, 9, that even just the thought of foolishness is sin. So just foolish thoughts are sin. And so I just wanted to, to keep pointing out a few of those. So, so as we recognize what sin is, I, I think I read something that I thought succinctly described it as any thought, word, or deed that falls short of God's standard of holy, holiness and perfection. And that's what sin means, you know, the, the Greek word for it. Re- literally, you know, you've probably heard it, you know, means like missing the mark or falling short of the mark. And that's what it is, except for that mark is God's perfection. And so I'm going to say that again. Any thought, word, or deed that falls short of God's standard of holiness and perfection. And now you think about that for a second. That's, we sin a lot, <laughs> like a lot. Um, and, you know, I've heard, I remember hearing one preacher say, uh, say that, you know, it's not that we sin, it's that all we do is sin, which is, you know, when you think of it in that context, and you think of, I think of the, uh, the greatest commandment being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it's like, I don't think I've ever done that. You know, and so in that sense, I'm breaking the greatest commandment almost every breath of my life. Um, and so just, just keeping this in mind of like how much when it says, you know, for all have sinned, it's like, oh yeah, we have all sinned. You know, when you start thinking as far as, you know, your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, and just how woefully short we fall of of Christ, of God's perfect standard, that, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> that we're not even remotely close to the, to the glory of God. And, and you get verses like, you know, the good, what is it? Uh, that our, our good deeds, our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And yeah, that makes sense when you think about it in that term, in those terms. So verse 24. <clears throat> Let's see, in our, so... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here it's just saying that through Christ's redemptive work on the cross, those that believe in Him are justified. Um, As sinful as we are, which is really sinful, God calls us righteous, righteous, putting His Son's righteousness on us. Now this is important, obviously, that this is by His grace. There is nothing we can do to earn it. And that's the, you know, we've been over this. Um, that it's received by faith. You know, I'm going to hit that famous verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, I think that says it pretty well. And we'll get, we'll get a little bit more to that in a couple verses too. Uh, so then on redemption, so the, the, the definition of this is like a buying back by the paying of a ransom price. So Jesus bought us back from the slave market of sin and the ransom price was blood. That he paid it and satisfied a holy and righteous God, which goes right into propitiation, which is in verse 25. The act of appeasing the wrath and conciliating the favor of an offended person. So, so Christ redeemed us, and through his act, act of redemption, he appeased God's wrath and even brought us into favor with God. And this is all, like I said, through his blood, by Christ's blood. Right, right there in verse 25, uh, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Let's see. 
and again, this is received by faith, is completely unearnable. No work can make it happen. Only belief in Christ through faith. And that is a gift that no one may boast. Um, and I did want to say too, in 25, so whom God put forward is a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, which is really interesting. And it brings up, I think, one of the great mysteries of the Old Testament. If you were just to read the Old Testament and just have that there, I'm convinced with a careful study in the work of the Holy Spirit that you would be sit, sitting there thinking, how can a righteous God just forgive sins? I mean, case in point, I'm going to hit a couple verses here. Numbers 35, verses 30 and 31. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no, no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. And then Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And then, Second Samuel verse, or chapter 12, verse 13. This is when Nathan comes to, to David, the king. And, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And so you see this. The law clearly states a murderer shall be put to death and adulterer shall be put to death. And that's exactly what David was. And David confesses his sin and says, I have sinned against the Lord. There's no hiding it. And, and Nathan gives the, the message from the Lord. He has put away your sin. You shall not die. And I mean, this is, that's that's one very clear example, but you have it throughout. I mean, like, why was, why was Noah spared? It wasn't that he was sinless. And so, like I said, this whole question in the Old Testament is, how can this righteous God just keep going, passing over these sins? How can he put David's sin away? Why was Noah saved? You know, these type of things. And it doesn't make that much sense until... You get to the New Testament, and Jesus Christ comes. And right here it says, In his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. And that Jesus Christ coming and his death on the cross reveals God's righteousness. And that this whole time when he was forgiving these sins, that he really, you know, according to his law, he ought not to be, have been forgiving. He was forgiving them for good reason, because in his divine forbearance he knew that Christ would pay the penalty for those sins and that 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 person could be forgiven based on the blood of Christ. And so God was proven just. Actually, I can just read the next verse. It's pretty much what I was going to say. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I just love this, this verse and this thought that his work on the cross simultaneously shows a lot of things. Um, I want to read Numbers chapter 14, a verse in there. It gets the same idea that I've been talking about. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. <clears throat> 
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. This same idea here that I was just saying, it's like, if you read that and you like really look at it carefully, it's, I mean, it just says, um, he's abounding in steadfast love. He forgives iniquity and transgression, and, but by no means clears the guilty. And you're like, wait a minute, like... How does, that, how does that go together? How do you forgive the iniquities, but by no means you clear the guilty? Um, and it's that question that just keeps presenting itself in the Old Testament. But then you get here, right here to uh, verse 27, or whatever verse I was on. 26. Um, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So simultaneously on the cross... Christ shows God's character. He shows that God is just. He is righteous. He, he has perfect holiness that cannot put up with sin. And at the same time, with Christ on the cross, it's the very message of his great mercy, his forgiveness, his love for us. And all those things are combined right there to accomplish you know, God's, God's penalty for sin is paid for. You know, his, just, his justice is satisfied. God is appeased. And at the same time, God brings... Uh, us lowly, pitiful creatures to himself in forgiveness and love and is able to, able to be in communion with us. <clears throat> and, you know, for those who believe God has justified us and ruled justly that we can enter into heaven as pure individuals wearing the purity of his son. <clears throat> so then, back to the thought we hit a little earlier. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. <clears throat> and kind of like we hit earlier, there's no boasting. Um, I remember a story of, of a grasshopper and an ant, and they were standing right next to Mount Everest, and the grasshopper looked down at the ant and said, I'm taller than you. And like, really, that's what boasting is here. It's like, you know, we have this immeasurable height, and to, to try to boast, like, we're... We're like on the same level as everybody else, um, and there's nothing we could ever do to, to uh, on our own accord, to to reach up to be roughly the size of Mount Everest. Um, and so, as I said, not, nothing we do gets there. So it's not by a law of works that we earn salvation; it's by a law of faith. Um, and really, the only thing we can boast about is Jesus Christ. He's all that we have to boast about. Anything else is is vanity and foolish. So verse 29, let's see. So we, for we hold, oh, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And so God is often called the God of Israel, and this is true. Um, but it is also true that he is the God of the whole earth, that he created Jew and Gentile alike, that he created all of it. He's sovereign over everything. Um, and is, you know, since God is one, there, it's not like there's a God of Jews and a God of Gentiles. God is one. There's not multiple gods. He is completely over it all. Um, and his salvation is apart from the law. <clears throat> he gave to the Israelites and equally to the, to the non-Jewish people. And in the same way, he will justify both Jew and Gentile the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that gets me to verse 31, which I will try not to go on for a while, but I definitely could. I think you could do a whole sermon on that verse. Um, 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Um, so, yes, salvation is by faith and not, not law-keeping. And I think Mark, Mark, I think, put it really well last week how, how a lot of times he, he like, does like, counter-arguments and keeps like, switching back and forth to make sure you don't go too far one way or the other. I liked how Mark described that. Um, and so here he's saying, you know, it's by faith. It's not by upholding the law. Um, you know, he hits that over and over. But then he switches back over here to say that the gospel does not nullify the law. Matthew five seventeen. You probably recognize it. Almost could have just quoted it. So, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is Jesus speaking. And yes, Christ's death fulfilled what the law required, which was blood for sin. Um, and by no means does faith in Christ overthrow the law. Uh, let's see. And I, I actually think, oh, a little side note here, it's real interesting that a little bit ago, we were talking about how in the Old Testament, you know, seen a lot of times as the time of the law, we just showed how, you know, there was grace. You know, there was grace in the Old Testament. And then here, in, you know, which is often seen as like a time of grace, you know, it's saying there's still the law. You know, and so it's just interesting that really the law and grace have always gone hand in hand. You know, back when there was the law, there was still no, there was no salvation through the law. It was still grace. You know, and now that we know of, of where that grace came from through Jesus Christ, he's saying, you know, just because there's grace, it doesn't mean the law is gone. There's still the law. And so, as I said, really those two have always gone hand in hand. <clears throat> and it gets right into the thing which I think Bill talked about, was it maybe the last open platform, <clears throat> that faith, about how faith without works is dead. Um, that a regenerated person ought to be in the process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit works in us to convict us of sin and purify us. Um, and I, I really want to stress this point because it's a big, big, big problem in today's church. Uh, I know of a lot of people, like, I try to never look at Facebook because every time I do, I just see terrible things. And then I think to myself, I know better. Why did I look? Um, of, like, all these people I went to college, and I went to a Christian college, all these people, and gosh, I mean, it seems like the gospel that the majority of them have went after is a... Of course, I, like, I believe in Christ. I just, I've rejected the church. I don't, I don't want to follow their laws that they try to put on me. I have Christ as my Savior, so I'm saved, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, like, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm serious that, like, the majority of the people I went to college with at a Christian college, that's their mindset. And... And I think this, this, like, this verse and this idea of, of upholding the law still is very important because these people, they want the salvation, they want heaven, but they still want to be masters of their own life. And this gets into the idea of Christ as Lord as well, not just Savior. Um, and I wanted to hit Acts, verse, Acts 16... Verse six, uh, verse thirty-one, and I've, I'm, you've probably heard the term lordship salvation, and this is what this is about: that it's not just a salvation based on a, yep, 
I'm saved because I said, you know, because I believe in Christ. It's a saying, it's also saying Jesus is not only my Savior, but He's my Lord. Like, I, I am under Him and I must follow Him. So Acts 16, 31. Um, I'll uh, start in 30. The Philippian jailer, he says, Then he, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So this is, I'm going to give one more to two of the most common verses for what must I do to be saved, where, you know, there's clearly, you must believe, but also this idea that Christ must be your Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 10.9. So, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there we have, you know, you must believe in your heart and you must confess him as Lord. You know, it's not just a, yep, I believe that Jesus is God. You know, I mean, it says the demons believe and they shudder, you know. It's not just a, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for his sins. It's also confessing him as your Lord. Um... And so this idea that, yes, Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life. Um, and his laws and commandments and lifestyles still apply to us. And we ought to subject ourselves to his will as our master. And to uphold his, his will and not sin more that grace may abound. Paul's going to get into that uh, later on. We'll be talking about that. Um, and as I was kind of saying, it's really critical not to leave this out of the gospel because like I said, those people that I see when I go on Facebook and I try to never do that anymore, um, they, they offer this watered-down gospel that, that pretends to offer salvation for a mere quick acknowledgement that Jesus, I believe in Jesus instead of as a result of a heart change that was orchestrated by God um, and compels a person to submit to Jesus. Um, and now, so not to say that we're under the law, it's very clear that we're not under the law. And, you know, there's, there's distinctions made about things like, um, you know, not how God has made the animals clean, you know, it's not like the clean and unclean stuff. Um, they talk about circumcision, obviously, we've talked about that already, that it's not, it was really all about a heart thing anyway, um, and like the sacrifice of the law. So I'm not saying that, like, we have to be legalist and follow the Old Testament and and, you know, the, the New Testament is an update for that. Um, but still, we must follow his commandments. And I, have, I want to read a little bit in First John chapter 2, because I think that explains it better than I can. First John chapter 2. Let's see, I guess I'll, I'll start right at the beginning. Um, my, ch my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this isn't to say that we'll be perfect, but this is saying that, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I follow his commandments. I have, I have a heartfelt desire to follow those commandments. It breaks my heart when I don't follow those commandments. And Jesus is sanctifying, you know, the Holy Spirit's sanctifying me. I'm getting, you know, he's working on me to do better and better at that. 
And so, again, I think that just says it well that we are still, we're not under the law, we're under grace, we're saved by grace, but God, through His Spirit, is working on us, and if, if you don't feel compelled to follow His commandments and to follow Him in His lifestyle, then you are not of Him. Now, like I said, I think that that thought and that verse could probably get a whole sermon, um, I could go on, but I think I'd like to think that we got the gist of it. Um, and I'll just finish by reading the actual verse one more time. <clears throat> Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So then I'll just pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would help us to, to continually understand it and that you would continue to sanctify us, uh, convict us of sin, and, and lead us to, to live more pure lives. Um, at the same time, we thank you that, that in your sight we are already pure, being justified not by the law or by works, but by faith in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.